Welcome back to the Fight HQ Podcast. Of course, I am Jason Floyd. That is the fighter, Pete Rogers Jr. We're here to break down UFC 297 goes down tomorrow night up there north of the border in Toronto. The UFC come back to Toronto for the first time since I believe it was 2018, maybe, maybe 2016 last time they've been up there. Of course, we got two title fights, the middleweight title fight, also the women's bantamweight title fight. And Pete, uh, always great to be talking to you here. And you know, this is, I, f- I found some crazy stats this week. You want to know the last time we've had a women's bantamweight title fight that did not involve Amanda Nunez? I can't even tell you. That's that's 2016 Holly Holm versus Misha Tate, March of 2016. You got to go back to 2017 to find a middleweight title fight that did not involve Izzy. Wow. The Izzy one surprises me. I mean, obviously, we know Amanda Nunez has dominated two divisions for a very large time. Um but yeah, Izzy, wow. I just remember him breaking into the sport, and his reign, I guess, has really been for quite some time now. Uh, and I'll say this. I'm, I know we'll answer a lot of these questions after the fact, but you know, uh, Gus in the chat was already asking what fight we're looking forward to the most watching this weekend. Outside of the main event, I will tell you, I think this is stylistically, I just think it could be a really fun fight. Charles Jordan versus Sean Woodson. Yeah, I think that's a striker's delight. I mean, that, that's going to be one that I want to pay attention to. Um, I'm really interested to see how Mike Malott does in his matchup against Neil Magny. Even though Neil Magny hasn't looked the best of late, it still is a very, very tough veteran uh, and gatekeeper within the division. Uh, I mean, what Neil Magny has what top two, top three wins of all time for welterweights or, or the most in welterweight division history or something crazy like that. So um, I'm excited to see the step up of competition. But I think that, you know, you know, styles make fights. And everything in this game is about timing. And the UFC knows exactly what they're doing. And uh, I'm excited to see Mike Malat to go out there. By the way, of course, the weigh-ins did put, take place earlier today. We had two fighters miss weight, those being Malcolm Gordon and also Roman Tavares. Tavares missed weight by four pounds. Uh, Malcolm Gordon missed weight by just a pound. Also, we had a fight get changed to a different weight class. The Mastering Jasmine and uh, Priscilla moved up to a bantamweight matchup as opposed to a flyweight matchup, and that was on the Priscilla catch aware side. So I think that's something to kind of think about, especially when we get into that fight, talk about how we think that fight's going to go. Because, I mean, I, I think we – I'm. Pro- I'm going to guess, Pete, that you probably already sitting here thinking about that fight, uh, potentially Jasmine going down the takedown route there. But, uh, of course, as always, we appreciate everyone tuning in for this episode of the podcast. Of course, if you're watching us on YouTube, if you can smash that thumbs up button, that really does help us out a lot. Of course, if it's your first time catching us over here on the Fight HQ YouTube channel, be sure to subscribe to the channel. We're here every UFC event. Of course, uh, no UFC event next week, but we'll be back the following week for the next fight night card that UFC is going to have, and then, of course, we'll have that February pay-per-view right there. I believe the second week of February for that one. Of course, you can also check out the show on the podcasting platforms. You leave a five-star rating and review. It would be very much appreciated. Of course, we got our Discord channel totally free to join. Great uh, great conversation already going on inside that Discord channel. Also, we have our DraftKings contest is live. It is. Uh, you can check that out. The link is in the show notes. Also, it is in that Discord channel, so be sure to check that out. Now, Pete, let's get right into game theory. And, uh, you know, look, when I think about game theory, the main event this week is a must-roster fight for me, Just and the price point. You've got A200, 8000 your fair fight of the week. And to me, there's only one other fight that is a priority fight for me in terms of GPPs, and that's actually going to be the third fight of the night, Johan Lanace taking on Sam Patterson, just because of if, if Johan goes out there and get a victory, I think he's going to be via stoppage within five minutes. And uh, if that does not happen, I think Sam potentially gets a late finish in that one. 
Oh yeah, I mean I, I'm in agreement with you with the uh, the main event of the evening, Sean Strickland and Drikas Duplessis. I think the price point is just a broken price point for either fighter. Um, you know, you could even stack the fight to be honest. If you start to think it goes late, we we've seen some incredible fights, uh, incredible main events. You know that we expected to end early, end up going later. The Yuri Prohashka and Glover Teixeira is one that you know really sparks my memory and. If you stack that fight, you were in you know great shape. I think you can do the same thing for this one if you believe it goes late. I do not, um, but that's a starting point for me for almost all of my lineups. Um, I'm in slight disagreement with you when it comes to the Johan and Sam Patterson. I just I have a feeling that they're going to be super tentative and and guys that really need wins. Um, I feel like it's going to be a uh, a lower volume, play it safe type of fight where maybe not much materializes, but extreme volatility on both sides so uh, to highlight the volatility jason's completely correct the chin of sam patterson the ground game uh, mistakes of johan lioness um for me the second priority fight is going to be jimmy flick against malcolm gordon mm -hmm. despite the weight miss i view those guys as extremely volatile fighters um you know to see malcolm gordon approaching or was approaching almost a two to one favorite is kind of crazy because he is so susceptible to getting hit and hurt with big shots. Not only that, he's, he you know has a knack for making mistakes on the ground, despite you know engaging in, in some clinches and some wrestling. So, uh, and the reverse can be said for Jimmy Flick. I mean, like Jimmy Flick has looked bad since his you know retire sudden retirement, coming back, um, suffers TKOs as well. But I do think he has the better jujitsu. But all in all, I think that fight, the pace of it, you know, I, I bring up volatility a lot. But pacing of fights is something that I think can can uh, you know lead to a ton of points, and that's obvious. And whenever I see a flyweight fight with volatility, I'm going to smash exposure to both sides. And one of the things that I do want to mention is I was looking at ownership projections for this one as we sit here on a Friday afternoon, and I will tell you that the one that really sits out to me right now is Brad Katona, especially potentially going that takedown route. I mean, I think when you talk about you know takedown city fighters this week, I look at Brad Katona, I look at Mozart Evolev against Arn Allen. I just think it's a bad matchup for Arn Allen. I mean, I think you know Allen more you know you know. You want him more in a striking type of matchup, not necessarily going up against uh, Mosler, who uh, one of the things I, I was watching the weigh-in show, and I forget whether it was DC or Weidman, and they were talking about the fact of his team has really been emphasizing on ground and pounding, ground and pound, being able to show that he can be a finisher there. Uh, you know, Jasmine to me is going to be another one for the potential takedown. Um, and I mean, look, I, I don't love this fight, but Julian Robertson probably is another one you got to look at as potentially going for those takedowns when, when you're taking there. I do want to bring up this question because I think it kind of goes into uh, before we kind of start breaking down these fights, Pete, and this comes from Gus asking you, Pete. Does the brutal cold affect the fighters? I don't think so. I mean, I I, I don't think so. I, I heard somebody else mention that. I don't really understand that. Um, I I don't know. I mean, it, it, if you have to go outside to help you cut weight, then maybe. But I don't see how that can. You know, I, I think altitude something that's extremely important and completely um, underappreciated. But when you have fighters that train at altitude. Um, or when you go and you're fighting at a place with altitude, it definitely makes a difference. But as far as like whether it's hot outside, cold outside, I don't necessarily think so. I, I don't think that has anything to do with it. Sam, I appreciate your super chat. I did see your uh, channel, your questions in Discord. We'll get to those towards the end of the show. And uh, happy that you love the t-shirt and you rock it tomorrow night. And I'll tell you, I'll be up in the cold tomorrow night. But uh, 
yeah, I'm not trying to leave the team hotel. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. I was looking at uh, the Detroit weather uh, earlier today. Uh, we got a low of zero and a high of 18. Yeah, not leaving the hotel. So, okay, so for every sport's different. I think for football, it completely makes a difference, obviously. I mean, you're playing outside. Like No, no we're playing, playing indoors. No I, no, I know, indoors, but I'm saying like when Miami – was was dealing with the cold in Kansas City, you know what I mean? Like that made a big difference. Like uh, the one reporter who who said that, you know, how how are the Bucks going to deal with the cold? And he's like, yeah, well, we're we're playing indoors, ma'am. Um, you know, but awesome. in a sport like that, you're playing outside. That makes a difference. In the in an arena, it makes no difference. Literally, when at Ford Field, literally, our bus will drop us off, and we're probably gonna walk in the cold for about. 20 yeah. seconds and then yeah. <laughs> it's climate control baby <laughs> his his response was like i don't think it's really gonna make a difference for the 30 second walk from the bus to the arena but <laughs> Dude, maybe you, you could you could see his facial expression he's like oh no i think he felt bad, <laughs> I, oh, he I'm, felt I'm, bad. Probably, I would probably say that is the case but yeah it's uh that should uh, be uh that should be an electric atmosphere on a sunday afternoon there in detroit and uh, of course i'll be uh i'll be up there and of course i'll have espn uh, plus up on my phone on, on saturday night watching the, the fights and uh, well yeah so hopefully uh, we can get a buccaneers victory and then uh we'll fi- figure out whether we go uh we're going to san francisco or green bay is coming here in the following week I literally tell everybody. I said my boy work, works for the Bucks, so they're like, "Who you, who do you who are you rooting for?" I'm like, "Rooting for the Bucks." My boy works for the Bucks. And they're like, "No way!" I'm like, "Yep, yep, yep." Yeah, but he, here's a crazy thing: me and Patrick Mahomes have something in common. <laughs> what is that? So you know, Patrick Mahomes is playing his first true road playoff game this week. Really? This will be my first road playoff road game because during COVID. We did all the games from Tampa. We didn't travel with the team. So this oh. will actually be my first playoff road game. All all my playoff home, home games and over, you know, all these years been doing uh, doing the broadcasting have all been home games. Interesting. Yeah. Hmm. I, I, I literally, crazy, like- I was out with my buddy uh, Chris here tonight, and he's like, he's like, hey, man, he goes, have you ever actually done a true playoff road game? And I, I started thinking, but I was like, no, actually, no. Wow. Well, we definitely have to hear back on how it goes and how it is and the experience for you. Um, but yeah, I mean, to think several years ago with with the COVID era between all different sports of how weird it made everything, um, and then to see where we're at today and uh, see you know Mahomes and you experiencing something new during playoffs is is kind of crazy. Yeah, it was awesome. Yeah, you know, that that was one great thing about playing on Monday was able to kind of enjoy all that playoff football. And man, I don't I don't care whether you're talking about NFL, NBA, NHL, MLB, or or a big MMA fight. Playoff season is just it's different. It is different. Yeah, I mean it's definitely it's definitely exciting, and um, you know I think it, it this year it, it's it's wide open, right? Like it's it, it's crazy. You you can make a case for so many different teams, and I think that's I, I got friends of mine that are like calling matchups pukey and i'm like you know i i actually see the reverse of it where it's like it's kind of damn crazy to see all these different teams in different situations within their franchise and how they're all live to win i mean literally like detroit anybody like you can make a case for anybody 
Yeah, I mean, I when the playoffs started and I said, I, I go, I, I'll take my blinders off here. I'll say, I think this is one of the most wide open years mm-hmm. in NFL playoffs that we've seen in a long time. Where, yeah, I think for a lot of years you kind of you kind of point to three or four teams and you say, you know what, those are those are the favorites to get the Super Bowl this year. I mean, I, I think it's just wide open, and uh, I mean, look. It's, once everything gets going, and we'll see how it goes. But, uh, yeah, I'll be heading to Detroit tomorrow. Got to pack up all that cold weather gear <laughs> for, uh, you know, going going out to dinner tomorrow night. But uh, look forward to watching these fights, of course. So we got the main event, middleweight title on the line. Sean Strickland making his first title defense as he is challenged by Drakus Duplessis. Duplessis is a minus 105, minus 115 for Sean Strickland. So we're pretty much approaching a pick fight here. Uh, yeah. Over on DraftKings, you got uh, Strickland A200. Duplessis is eight thousand. Then over on Fanduel, which I, I, I gotta know from our listeners, do you want us talking Fanduel? Because uh, the prize pools over there are not not very good. I almost think right, like if if we scratch Fanduel from now on from from conversation, we could even dive into more props. You know, and I think that's something that maybe people would like a little bit more. I mean, we always gloss over it and we always talk about yeah. it, but like at this point, I mean, Fanduel is just they're, they're not helping us out and. uh they're not helping themselves out with these contests either. Yeah, I mean, it, to me, it's just it's one of those things. If I, I love hear from our listeners, uh, you know, do you want us talking Fanduel? I mean, obviously, we'll mention the prices here: uh, eighteen for Strickland and seventeen for Duplessis. So, Pete, uh, break down for us. Yeah, so I, I think this matchup is is very very interesting, right? Like we have Sean Strickland, who was always very solid for the division. Um, seems to have hit a stride and it's all about the momentum of the gym too. And, and just like extreme couture has been such a hot gym for the past five years. Um, they've always been a solid gym, but we've seen anytime people are coming from great camps that I want to get behind them. And Sean Strickland is very important for his team. Um, very good striker, uh, you know, approaches it with like a Philly shell type of defense and stance, um, which is very uncommon for MMA. But it works for him. He has a very good jab, and having a good jab is something that is so just uh, so underappreciated and just absent from so many fighters' games. Like nobody jabs anymore. And when you see somebody establish a good jab, it's as basic and as fundamental as it is. It makes such a big difference, and that's why like Izzy was having a hard time with with Sean Strickland walking him down with the Philly shell guard. Um, and, and just, you know, the straight shots and the broken offbeat rhythm that Strickland possesses. He doesn't do things on the typical rhythm, and he actually waits for you to throw a big shot for him to counter as well. So I think this fight comes down to who's pressing who backwards. Because if you tell me Sean Strickland is pressing Drikas Duplessis backwards, I think that Sean Strickland's going to be, you know, going to get a ton of momentum behind him and start picking his shots and having tons of success. The issue is, though, is if you can back Sean Strickland up, um, you can catch him with some looping shots. You can get break through that guard. There's a lot of glancing shots because of the the Philly shell guard that um, you know he deflects a lot. And as ugly and as crazy as it is, and it, sometimes he's like pawing at everything and overreacting to some to some shots coming his way. They're deflecting just slightly enough for him to avoid danger. I do think, though, that Drikas Duplessis blitzes really, really well. Um, he's a sucker to get countered with a straight right hand down the middle, but his blitzes are so are are so wild and fundamentally incorrect because he's sitting there switching stances amidst his uh, amidst his blitzes and everything. It's like I actually think that he's going to land a big shot, and then you bring it to the you know 
into consideration the the takedown aspect. I think that if Drikas Duplessis gets a takedown, his ground game is as as good as Strickland's wrestling is. I think there's a big big difference here in jiu-jitsu. I think that Drikas Duplessis has very very good jiu-jitsu. We've seen him compete um, in quintet as as you know in, in jiu-jitsu fights against an entire team, submit an entire Gracie team. Um, very, very good at snatching up the neck, going from darts chokes to guillotines and all of that. So with all that being, that's a long-winded way of me saying that I'm going to have split exposure to both of these fighters. I mean, it is such a close fight given the pick odds, but I'm going to be going with Drikas Duplessis to, uh, to hurt Sean Strickland, um, and either finish it via ground and pound or pick up a submission. So, uh, if you tell me that this fight gets stretched out, clearly I like Sean Strickland more. Um, I know that Drikas had had surgery, um, and I do think that his gas tank issues have been somewhat fixed. But I do think that over five rounds, you have to favor Sean Strickland. Yeah, I mean, this is one of those fights that I've really been going back and forth. At. It's interesting the way you kind of start out your breakdown with it because I have the exact same thought of who is going to be the fighter that leads the dance? Who is going to be the fighter that gets the other one on their back heels? I mean, if, if you... and that's why this may be a great live betting potential opportunity based on what you see in, in the first round in terms of this one. Like, I'm with you. Like, split exposure on both these guys. I mean, obviously, you love the potential of DDP going out there and getting a stoppage, you know, say within the first 10 minutes. I do have question marks. If if this fight gets into the fourth round, gets into the fifth round, what does that cardio look like for, for DDP? We just don't know what it is. That It's just it's a little bit this unknown situation. Looking over at prize picks, what I did find interesting over prize picks, they have significant strike props for all the fighters on the main card. They have Sean Strickland at 72.5, DDP at 79.5. And look, I think it's over on prize picks. That comes down to how do you think this fight's going to go? If you, if you think this thing's going 25 minutes, it is a clear more on Sean Strickland, and I would say a clear more on, on Dragon's 2 plus seeds. But if you think this fight's going to end within, say, 15 minutes, it would be a less than player there. So you got to kind of sit over there. I picked DDP on my show on Wednesday, and uh, I, I think I, I think I'm there. I think I, I'm still on DDP in terms of this one. Um, I just for some reason I kind of see a looping right hand to the ear that drops Sean Strickland. Yeah, I can see that. Um, you know, and, and when you've seen uh, Zaleski Dos Santos hurt Sean Strickland, obviously that was with a wheel kick, spinning hook kick, um, and then finishing him up with some ground and pound. Uh, we, we've also seen Alex Pereira catch Sean Strickland with that beautiful left hook into some more some more damaging shots. I just think the odd angles of um, Drikas Duplessis, are, something's going to find the mark. And if he gets respect on the feet, I do think that he can take him down. Abus now, uh, Magomedov, took Sean Strickland down. It was kind of a weird situation where he's... I, I think people just don't understand how strong Duplessis is. And if he gets his hands on Strickland, I know Strickland will fight for underhooks, reverse position. It's just if he gets taken down, even just me seeing him turn his back against Abus Magomedov to get back to his feet, it's like I think there's a big difference here in jiu-jitsu skill. And I almost think that's going to be the difference maker. So I'm going to say Drikas Duplessis via submission, but it's a lean. It's a it's a lean. I wouldn't include either one of these fighters a part of my parlays. Um, it's a D, DFS play, and I, I just think that it's a – Hell of a main event, and I'll sit back and watch it and enjoy it. Yeah, that's what I'll be doing tomorrow night and uh, see how this thing plays out. And uh, I, I know I've gotten some questions in my DMs about kind of where I thought like the mental state uh, of Sean Strickland is. I mean, obviously he's made a lot of headlines this week, um, and I said I, I'm just not looking much into that. I, I think you know, I mean. <laughs> 
I don't know if you saw his line yesterday at the mm-hmm. uh, press conference. Oh, I see. Yeah. Oh, man. These. Um, it, uh. it, the UFC Europe account had it. Um, let me, let me find it here real quick. I It was, I mean, it, it was a classic Sean Strickland line. I mean, it's what you totally expect that you're going to get out of Sean Strickland. And uh, let me find it here. Uh, we're going to be dick to dick, nipple to nipple in that range of fucking fighting. Ladies and gentlemen, the middleweight champion of the world. What in the world, dude? Oh, my God. Some people should be in front of a microphone and some people should not be. And I, I, uh, I will say this. What happened on Wednesday at his scrum, I put on the reporter. Yeah. You know, you know the way Sean Strickland, you know, like, it's not like he didn't know his views. Yeah. When he asked that question, and I saw it after the fact, I was like, you know what? Obviously, do not agree with Sean Strickland. But from right. a reporter aspect, you knew the type of answer you were going to get. Yeah, and I think that's why he did it. I mean, like, I don't agree with him either. Uh, oh, bro, um, that that was that's a reporter looking to go viral. Right, and I don't agree with Strickland's views at all. But the thing is, it's like somebody's going to hold you accountable for what you say, though, too. So I, I kind of like... I think the UFC does a pretty good job of trying to protect their fighters from getting reporters that will interview them and, and say and ask those hard questions, like why Ariel's not a part of it. You know what I mean? Like because Ariel is stick there and and ask the questions that need to be asked that reporters need to. But I mean, it's it's two days from the fight. But I mean, you should be held accountable for what you say. I kind of just want to touch on this real quick of, yeah. of Lando just saying Drikas cardio is horrendous. I watched the Brunson until fight. And he was gassed out and looked horrible. I would agree that he he does look really, really tired. He does have a knack to work through that fatigue. But I, I think it's not that his cardio is bad. It's his pacing. Do you remember when he had Darren Till pinned against well, the cage? Well, and you he remember, threw like 100 significant strikes. You know what I mean? Like, Well, you remember he, he had the surgery. Uh, right. Septus? Was it, am I correct in that? Yeah, it, it was... Uh, um, it was uh, his, his, na- his nasal surgery. Yeah, yeah his yeah. nasal surgery. Um, but like, not even that. It's just his pacing. Like he he's so he sees blood and he goes crazy. Um, and he overexerts himself as he did in the Till fight and even in the uh, the Derek Brunson fight. So I worry about that going up against a vet and Sean Strickland that he just cannot pace himself correctly. And then the true vet takes over over the stretch of five rounds. Yeah, I mean, it's a concern that I definitely have right there. Now, of course, our co-main event is also a title matchup. It is the vacant women's bantamweight fight. You got Raquel Pennington taking on Buena Buena Silva. Buena Silva is a minus 170 betting fair, plus 140 for Rocky. uh, Rocky 7,600. Silva is 8,600. Then over on FanDuel, 19 and 12, respectively, of course, uh, Silva being the $19. Pete, let's hear your thoughts. Yeah, I mean, truthfully, this is a fight that I'm not really interested in. Um, I hate saying that because... You know, I think Myra Buena Silva's fine. I never really viewed her as a title contender. Um, she seems to play with her food at times. And, uh, you know, she seems to be able to come from behind. Or if she gets put in a bad spot, then she can capitalize with her sneaky jujitsu, Whether it's with knee bars or arm bars or ninja chokes. Uh, Raquel Pennington is a fighter who I've always thought is very, very tough. Uh, the split decision over Ketlin Vieira does hold some value. I mean, she threw 159 significant strikes, landed only 81, unsuccessful on two of her takedown attempts. 
minute of control time. So the numbers really don't jump off the page. I mean, she picked up a decision over Aspen Ladd, uh, decision over Payne Kianza, submission over Macy Chasson. So, like, she's a vet, and if you told me she was on a five-fight win streak, I would be completely surprised, but she is. Um, you know, and she's just been somebody who's stuck around in the division for a while. I think maybe the entire market is completely underrating her in this in this spot. Um, but it's I don't know. She hasn't she hasn't really impressed me in any of her fights. And at least I could say Myra Buena Silva has higher finishing potential and she's a little bit more dangerous. And in the twenty twenty four type of, you know, judging criteria, I, I think she's going to land the dam- more damaging shots, even if that she has a lower volume. Um and you know, in the weird scrambles, I can see her finding a submission here against Raquel Pennington. I, I don't think Raquel is a bad fighter by any means. Um, if this does go late and it does touch twenty-five minute round, uh, twenty-five minutes, maybe neither one of them score well. Maybe it's a Myra Buena Silva decision, and it's just like mediocre scoring in the eighties or seventies. Um, yeah, so I'm picking Myra Buena Silva. Come to think of it, now with my my lineups, I don't think I have any Raquel Pennington, and that could be a mistake just because of her experience and everything. But uh, it'll, I'll be leaning towards Myra Buena Silva in this title fight that that I think I'm just going to be relatively underweight to, you know, and, and just kind of pivot elsewhere. Yeah, I'd be underweight to this one as well. I do kind of. It's one of those things where I do want to pay attention to ownership and see maybe where the ownership yeah. on, on both these fires go here. Uh, over on Prize Picks, really uh, nothing really sticks out a ton to me over there. Um, I, I will say this: my one concern about Pennington, and we, we always talk about Pete in this sport. There's just things you can never forget. And yes, it was a long time ago, but in her first title fight, we saw Raquel Pennington essentially quit on the stool. Now, obviously, she was going up against the GOAT, but I also do wonder if she cannot get this fight to the ground and she's just getting brutalized, do we see a repeat of that? Yeah. Long time ago, but... I actually forgot all about that, to be honest. Um, But the, you know, Marvel Buena Silva is dangerous off of her back. So if you take her down, you're playing with fire there. I mean, that's a a woman who can pick up armbar from guard, no problem at all. She can roll for a knee bar. Uh, she could be losing, you know, 24 of these 25 minutes and then just find a submission. Um, and she's a part of a hell of a camp and of American top team. And you already know how I feel about American top team. Kind of interesting because Tisha Torres and Raquel Pennington and, um, and it now going up against the American top team camp. So, uh, I, I think that Myra Buena Silva is going to pick up a victory here. It's just for DFS. Does she score all that? Well, I don't think so. Yeah, it's one of those things that if if these fighters got underneath twenty five percent ownership, that's where in, in the bigger GPP fields is that's where I would be maybe looking at, at going for some type of leverage play Dang. in terms of that. Their ownership's crazy right I now. I just looked and I was I was actually oh. I was surprised. I was surprised. Is by that, that real? What in the world? Yeah. I'm, well, I'll tell you what. Like, even with my lineups, I'm probably not going to go all that crazy, but I think I'm probably a third of that. Yeah, no, I'm with you there. Uh, next up, we got a matchup between a vet and a rising Canadian in the UFC scene here in the welterweight division. Of course, you got the vet, Neil Magny, taking on Mike Malott. Mike Malott is a minus 370 betting favorite. He has been as high as a 4-1 betting favorite earlier on this week. Neil Magny is plus 280. Uh, Malott, 9300 on DK, $22 on FanDuel. And for Neil Magny, he's 6900 on DK and $9 on FanDuel. Pete, break it down for us. 
Yeah, so we have Mike Malat. I mean, a lot of people are high on this guy, and we've heard a lot about um, his coaching skills. And now we're starting to see his fighting skills. I mean, he's very, very talented in all areas. Uh, good striker, very good striker. Um, but I actually think his submission skills and how opportunistic he is in the submission department is what makes him so damn dangerous. I mean, his front headlock series is fantastic. I would be lying if I said I haven't looked at his film and I've, I've tried to add it to my game. He does some high elbow guillotines. He also does some interesting chokes as well uh, where it, it's like a guillotine, but he's hugging his elbow similar to how um, Gordon Ryan does it. I I really, really like Mike Malott and everything I've seen. Um, obviously, this is a massive step up in competition just from a name and a gatekeeping standpoint, Neil Magny has beaten a ton of fighters. Even when you think that he's done, he's picked up a split decision over Phil Rowe, who's like a mirror match against them. I mean, he's been submitted several times. He has picked up a submission in his own right against Daniel Rodriguez, who's a 10th planet jiu-jitsu guy. Um, so, like, you can never count Neil Magny out. And I was almost thinking about punting to Neil Magny from, like, a, a cash standpoint or salary savings to help me spend up and get elsewhere. But... I don't know. I, I you know, kind of how we talked, you know, before the show, I almost think just the best days of Neil Magny are officially done, like officially. And this is going to be it right here. Mike Malott's so dangerous. He can hurt and knock out Neil Magny on the feet. There's a game plan for him to chop at the, at the calf and just destroy Neil Magny's legs. There's a game plan for him to counter the, the clinching and wrestling of Neil Magny by, um, you know, snatching onto that neck and, and getting a choke. I think Mike Malott here at 9,300, despite the step up, is in a solid spot. And how could I bet against a guy who scored over 100 fantasy points in all three of his fights? Mickey Gall, 111. Johan, 103. 105, Adam Fugit. Clearly step up a competition, but this is a fraud check. Is Mike Malott really as good as we all think, or is he not that good? If you tend to think he's not that good, 6,900 Neil Magny should be a priority for you. Because he can stretch fights out. He's very long. He can strike from the outside with his straight punches, and he can do the typical Neil Magny game plan of clinching into offensive takedowns despite having a clear hole in his submission defense. Um, but yeah, with all that being said, I'm picking Mike Malott to pick up a submission win over Neil Magny, um, but inside the distance is clearly very safe. 9,300, Mike Malott, I, I like him a lot. Didn't even mean to rhyme. I like him a lot, but uh, you know he's going to be a priority for most of my lineups. Look, the, this is a classic UFC matchup here. You, you, you got the vet who yeah. is, to, you know, towards the back half uh, of his UFC run, and you got the up and coming, you know, rising fighter here, Mike Malott. And I, I just think that it's the, the one question you clearly have about Mike Malott is if this fight hits the second, hits the third round, mm -hmm. what does that gas tank look like? It's just he's only been to the third round once in his career, so that is something to pay attention to here. But I really do like Mike Malott here, and I would say this I, over on Prize Picks, the one that really stuck out to me is the fight time of nine and three quarters. I think if you'd like Mike Malott to win this matchup, I kind of like going less than. But yep. if Neil Manny can drag him out, I just. I say this all the time, Pete, man. Father Time's undefeated, and, and I'm really wondering if Father Time is uh, punching on Neil Magny's door right now. Yeah, I, I would agree with you. I, I mean, I understand what chat's saying and saying that uh, Neil Magny's a great leverage play, and you're correct. He is. He's a great leverage play. Um, so if you're doing 150 lineups, I definitely think you should not X out Neil Magny. I, I, he presents um, you know, gr a great floor given what he's done within his career within the welterweight division. 
Um, it's just he has to overcome a lot and keep his neck out of danger. So I personally think that Mike Malott's a legitimate prospect, but he is unproven as far as caliber of opponents. Mickey Gall, Johan. I think the Adam Fugit one is probably the best of those three, but still, Adam Fugit is not Neil Magny. Um, but let's go. Let's go, Mike Malott. Let's see if you're, if you're as real as everybody says. Uh, Ryan mentioned says he seems like he's one of the best MVP options on FanDuel. Uh, Ryan, I would expect that he's going to be pretty popular in that MVP spot. That he's going to be one of the guys that people are going to be going for there. Yeah. But uh, but yeah, we'll, we'll we'll talk about MVP uh, towards the end of the show. Next up, we got Chris Curtis taking on Mark Andre Barrio. Barrio is a plus one fifty five betting underdog, minus one eighty five for Chris Curtis. Curtis uh, eighty five hundred on DK, sixteen on FanDuel, and for Mark Andre Barrio, he's seventy seven hundred on DK and thirteen dollars on FanDuel. Yeah, so I mean, initially, you guys know I like targeting pace pushers, and that's what Mark Andre Barrio is priced as an underdog. He's a pace pusher. He goes, he throws tons of volume. Sometimes he shells up and he eats a lot of volume as well. Uh, if you tire and you show any chink in your armor, you, you can see Mark Andre Barrio coming from behind and start trying to show you the exit. I think, though, that in this matchup against Chris Curtis, there's a clear gap in striking skill like i actually think chris curtis is very fluid um i listened to an interview of, of mark andre barrio uh discuss how um he wanted to fight earlier but he was coming off a rib injury and or he, yeah i'm pretty sure he said a rib injury so he took some time and then they approached him for this canadian show and he hopped all over it chris curtis digs really well to the body um and in addition to digging well to the body he's very good at landing that dangerous left hand, and he doubles it up, triples it up sometimes. And he's a part of champ camp right now. Sean Strickland, a part of a very high, highly intense camp, preparing him for a very dangerous opponent. You already know Chris Curtis, a part of Extreme Couture, is going to be very ready and motivated. I do think, though, that in this matchup, Chris Curtis doesn't have to worry about getting taken down, really, because I don't see Marc-Andre Berrio attempting takedowns. We've seen him land in top position or incorporate it into his clinching but chris curtis for the most part can just go out there and strike and have a good time nasardino mavov even though he's a good striker will look to get takedowns kelvin gastelum joaquin buckley jack hermanson hadolfo Vieira, brendan allen phil hawes even i mean like this is to me the least dangerous opponent that chris curtis has faced inside the ufc so i'm not overlooking Mark Andre Barrio. I think Chris Curtis here at mid pricing at 8500 makes a great, you know, makes a ton of sense. Um and I just really like the preparation I've seen leading up for Extreme Couture in a lot of these fights. And I do think that he's just going to punish Mark Andre Barrio. Um uh, does he pick up a finish? I think he really could. I, I think he can drop him with a body shot um or just hurt him down the middle with his straight left hand. So uh I'll be picking Chris Curtis here at 8500 to win via KOTKO. Um. Yeah. So that that's that's my lean, and I, I like the pricing too. I think it's pretty affordable. And something also note: Chris Curtis has done some training at Factory X for this camp as well, uh, which should not be a surprise based on who his management is. His man, the he's represented by Iridium Sports Agency, and Iridium has a lot of clients that are at Factory X, so that should not be a surprise. Uh, in terms of that one, uh, I will say this: I mean, the 
significant strikes prop on both of these guys at 61 and a half is intriguing to me, especially if this thing goes 15 minutes. I think they can both hit over that number there, but I'm like you. I do like Chris Curse go out there and get the win. Then our opening matchup of the pay-per-view is we've got Mozart Evelove taking on Arnold Allen. Evelove is a minus 190 betting favorite, plus 164 Arnold Allen. Allen is 7500 on DK, $13 on FanDuel. And for Evelove, he is 8700 on DK and $18 on FanDuel. Yeah, I think Arnold Allen is going to be a very popular underdog, and I've liked Arnold Allen a lot throughout his UFC tenure. Um, been pretty high on him when other people weren't. Uh, looked really smart in the Dan Hooker fight. The Calvin Cater fight was a fluke because of the injury to Calvin Cater. Um, but then you saw the massive step-up competition against Max Holloway. He was priced at a plus-142 underdog. He was just completely outclassed through 225 significant strikes, landed 76 um, you know, he changed takedowns together if he absolutely has to, as he had to in the Sadiq Youssef fight where he picked up a, a decision, scored only 68 fantasy points. Um, so, yeah, I, I think clearly this is a difficult matchup for Arnold Allen. Um, the skills are there if, if it, you know, stays on the feet. But I think that Movzar Evloev, the way he blends everything together is very impressive. His hands aren't the most impressive, but his hands into his takedowns, his setups, they are very, very sharp. Um, and that's why he's able to pick up some of these spectacular takedown numbers. 5 of 16 against Sung Wu Choi. 4 of 11 against Enrique Barzola. Look what Barzola is doing in Bellator. 2 of 2 against Nick Lentz. 9 of 13 against Hakeem Dawadu. 9 of 16 against Dan Ige, who's a good grappler and wrestler in his own right. 4 of 7 against Diego Lopez. Now, that fight is a bad look for Mozart Evola because... You took a chance on a guy stepping up on short notice. Little did everybody know Diego Lopez is an absolute killer and is going to be ranked in this division. Mark my words. I think that he's so, so damn dangerous. Um, you know, And he hurt his knee in that fight by getting put in a very, very deep leg lock. I And he still scored 119, 129 against Dianige, 138 against Hakeem Dawadu. The opposite stance for Arnold Allen could make the, the takedown entries a little bit different. But, you know, going back to Arnold Allen's earlier fights, you know, we've seen Mads Burnell take him down time and time again despite picking up the, the late submission win. Um, I think that there's a clear gap in the wrestling skill. Even if Arnold Allen defends well early, it's just going to keep coming. And unless he knocks out Mozart Ivloev, and Ivloev isn't 100% with that knee injury coming back from the Diego Lopez fight, maybe we can see Arnold Allen pick up a decision win. I don't see him finishing Ivloev. I'm going to be picking Mozar, um, and I think at 8,700, it's a it's a competitive price tag, and the takedown upside is clearly there. I, I'm picking him to to win this bout. I, I think it's a competitive fight, and in competitive fights, you can you know make the case for the underdog. But I'll be picking Evolve. Yeah, I'm picking Evelov in this one as well. It's because of that takedown upside that he has and, and that advantage that he's going to have in the grappling aspect. Over prize picks, his takedown prop is three and a half. I mean, that's a big number. Um, you, you, if for that to happen, I think you're going to need a 15-minute fight, and, and you've got to hope that Aaron Allen's going to get off his back. If Aaron Allen can keep the fight on the feet, that is obviously his clear path there, but I do like Evelov to go out there and get the victory. And we, if you're creating a group on you know on an optimizer like a fancy cruncher and you're creating a takedown group – 
Evelev has got to be in that group because he is definitely one of the fires. I, I do expect to get uh, multiple takedowns in this one. Next up, we got Bracketona taking on Garrett Armfield. Bracketona minus 220 betting fair plus 180 for Garrett Armfield. Katona 8800 on DK, $20 on FanDuel. For Garrett Armfield, he's 7400 on DK and $11 on FanDuel, Pete. Yeah, I think offensively, Garrett Armfield can give a lot of fighters problems. It's just defensively, I think that he kind of falls apart if things don't go his way. Um, you, you saw what his striking can can look like against Toshiomi Kazama. Um, that's clearly not the same level of opponent that Brad Katona is, but he picked up the knockout in round one. 118 fantasy points is what he scored. Threw 77 significant strikes, landed 45 um, defended two takedowns, got a knockdown. He looked really good on the feet and ever improved from a guy who's coming from a, a very long wrestling experience, you know, a wrestling career, um, you know, coming from a very competitive area of wrestling. I, I think that Garrett Armfield offensively can make it very competitive against Brad Katona. The issue is if it comes back the opposite way. Um, I do think that Brad Katona is um a fighter that will probably be you know cracking down on the rankings if he isn't already uh this guy's been around for a very long time even outside the ufc he's taking hard fights um hunter azure beat him back in 2019 rob dalishvili took him down numerous times and beat him back in 2019 so if i am a part of garrett armfield's corner i think that we're trying to be as offensive with our wrestling as possible now garrett armfield has um made this switch from florida to marathon MMA, which I thought was very interesting, and that was a fight ago. Um, and now he has a, a, a full camp with marathon MMA, training with Miles Johns a lot, which I think Miles Johns is very damn dangerous for this division. Big, big power puncher, good wrestler in his own right. I'm watching Garrett Armfield take him down, and, and you know it's training, so it's going to happen. But offensively, I think Garrett Armfield can surprise some people. It's just. If he does get tired or he gets put on his back, you know how wrestlers are when they get put on their back. They're just not used to it. They're used to, you know, bellying down and they end up giving their back in that situation. And that's where maybe the submission skills of Brad Cantona can come live. And you could see him possibly submit Garrett Armfield. But I I think it's a fair price tag for Brad Cantona for all he's done within his career. I wasn't all that impressed with the Cody Gibson fight, even though it was a banger. I was impressed with the volume threw 311 significant strikes, landed 160. But like Cody Gibson's a guy I wasn't really high on. I almost think I'm higher on Garrett Armfield's skill set than Cody Gibson. And Gibson was landing some shots on Katona. So I'll, you know, I would be lying if I told you I don't have some shares of Garrett Armfield. I do think that this fight is uh, a smash spot either way. Um, I'm, I'm going to be picking Brad Katona just because for everything he's done on the Ultimate Fighters and how well-rounded he is. Less holes in his game than the unproven Garrett Armfield. But, you know, I got a, a small portion of my lineups in case everything I'm seeing in the training footage actually can materialize for Garrett Armfield. So it'll be uh, Brad Katona, and I'll go via submission um, in the late second or third. Uh, but at 8800 I think he's at a pretty favorable price tag to come through for us. And that prop bet, Katona win via submission plus 350. Mention of Marathon MMA. So that is Trey Ogden's gym, which yeah. essentially has become the new Glory MMA and Fitness. It was it was named Glory MMA and Fitness uh, at one time. But, of course, when everything happened last year with James Krause, they, they changed the name of the gym, Marathon MMA. So that's where a lot of the Glory guys have ultimately ended up at. Uh, Miles Johns, who literally came to Glory like 
four months before everything went to to, yeah. to shambles. Um, but yeah, that just give a little background information there. Um, and I'll say this, Katona is my leverage play of the week as we sit with where ownership is at right now. I always talk about is you got to look in that 9,000, high 8,000 range and say, who is the fighter not getting ownership because of that takedown upside? I do like the more than one and a half takedowns on prize picks for Brad Katona in this one. So uh, Katona is the guy that I'm really looking at as a leverage play this week next up we got a matchup that i just think should be a fun matchup to stylistically to watch these two guys go in there and swing it out that is charles jordan and sean woodson jordan a minus 220 betting fair plus 180 for sean woodson uh jordan nine thousand on dk twenty dollars on fando and for woodson he's 7200 on dk and eleven dollars on fando pete yeah i mean this is a striker's delight in my opinion i mean we've seen sean woodson and charles jordan paired up against opponents who want to take them down and it's like oh man pair them up against strikers so we can really see a high volume crazy affair um and i think that's what we're going to get even though both of them have shown you know evolutions in their game and development within their game we sh- we've seen sean woodson go to the takedown well in his previous fight and that was against dennis bazookia where he went four or five in the takedown department i almost think that's just trying to secure a you know a very safe win, and I don't think Dennis Bazookia is all that good. So they were, it was just open. Um, I, I think the the submission attacks of Charles Jordan will limit the takedowns of Sean Woodson because Jordan has some sneaky, sneaky submission skills, as evidenced in the Lando Venata, the Ricardo Hamosh fight. Um, both of these guys have fought some tough competition for the feather, featherweight division. You got six and six, five and one for Charles Jordan, one, uh, four, one and one for Sean Woodson. You look at their at their box scores and you watch the fights. They've thrown beyond two hundred significant strikes multiple times. Um, you know, I think this is going to be a hell of a fight. I'm picking Charles Jordan to land the bigger, more powerful shots, wobble the big skeleton of Sean Woodson. Um, but I will tell you. A sneaky, sneaky way to get different that I'm going to do in some of my lineups. I'm going to stack this fight. And the reason I'm going to stack the fight, and I usually don't stack fights, but I'm going to stack the fight because I think the likelihood of it going 15 minutes is, you know, very likely. And they're both high-volume strikers. They have crazy outputs. Um, And I think as a punt, we could have a situation where maybe a, a lot of underdogs don't come through. And the punt to Sean Woodson in a loss scores decently well, 50 points or so. Um, you know, he even, he was beating Julian Arosa and he got, you know, submitted in the third round. He still scored 54 fantasy points. He scores 54 fantasy points, 60 points at 7,200. I think you're pretty damn happy about that. That can outscore some people and win. So I'll be stacking this fight in just a small portion of my lineups to get completely unique. Uh, but it's Charles Jordan, the more powerful striker, the uh, the better submission skills. Even though he's a complete weirdo, I'm going to be picking Jordan to win. Yeah, I, I was telling Pete before the show, my cash game punt this week is Sean Woodson. It's just and it's pretty much exactly what kind of Pete laid out there. The fact of thinking this thing's going to go 15 minutes, it's going to be a striking matchup. I mean, look, if someone's shooting a takedown, it's because they got rock. And I'll say this with Sean Woodson, I'm always kind of surprised this guy makes 145 pounds. That yeah, makes no sense. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this guy, this guy will probably eventually be doing what I'm doing and fighting at 170. It's yeah. just, you know, as he gets older, it's going to get more difficult to, to make the weight. He doesn't look healthy every single time he fights. I'll tell you that. 
Yeah. And by the way, prize picks, they had the fight time here at 14 and three quarters. A very understand there. Next up, we got a matchup where we had one fighter who missed weight by four pounds, that being Roman Tavares. And by the way, this is a rematch from a matchup on the Contender Series, taking on Sergei City. Sergei City, a minus 185 betting fair, plus 155 for Tavares. Over on DK, City is 8,900 on DK, 15 on FanDuel. And for Tavares, 7,300 on DK and $14 on FanDuel, Pete. Yeah, competitive fight. I mean, Serhei Sidi is um, clearly going to be favored because he, he won the first encounter against Roman Tavares. It was somewhat of a fluky win, though. Not fluky win, but fluky call from the referee of how quick he hopped in to stop the fight. The fact of the matter is, though, that is that he uh, he sat down Roman Tavares you know, with a combination. I believe it ended in a jab. Uh, it was something glancing. Um, and then he went to follow up, followed up you know momentarily and then the fight was stopped before you know roman was really out um roman Tavares is a dangerous striker he has good hands um i think that there is some he's clearly just he's a striker right like i I think the well-roundedness lies with cd and that's possibly what we're going to see over the course of 15 minutes um Tavares is a good underdog though because he was getting the better of most of the striking exchanges in the first encounter. And who's to say that he's not going to get the better of the striking exchanges here. Um, and as long as he stays, you know, durable or his durability checks out, he could be on his way to winning a decision here at 7,300. So I'm not making a stand one way or another, but I was going to be back in Tavares until the weight miss and the weight miss could just be strategic. It could also be, um, you know, a miscalculation, a, a pretty big miscalculation, or it could be just uh, something went wrong. Maybe he's injured. Maybe, you know, there, there's something underlying. So because of the weight miss and everything, I'm still going to side with Sierra City um, to pick up a decision or a late finish. But Roman Tavares should still be a part of your underdog pool. Don't gloss over him. Pay attention to the ownership because if the masses flock one way or another, just due to the weight miss doesn't necessarily mean it's going to predict the outcome. I was initially going to be leaning towards the Tavera side to pull off the upset, but I will lie with Sergey City here to win via decision or a late round stoppage at 8,900. Yeah, it's always got to be concerned when a fighter misses weight by four pounds. And I mean, that, yeah. that's one of those things that you sit back and. Unless, you know, his team comes out and says exactly what happens. It's also one of those things of you know, probably if, if you've got a, a good portion of of your alliance with either one of these fighters, you probably need to make sure you're around a computer leading up to lock just in case something does happen with this one. If for some reason maybe a, doc, a doctor comes in and says, you know what, no, I'm, I'm not going to let you go out there and compete. It's it's also one of those things you do wonder. Maybe the weight cut was just going bad, and and the coach said, you know what, man, you're not going to make weight. Let's just let's call it right now. Let's get on the scale, and let's see if we can get our opponent to take the fight. Yeah, I mean, that's just the unknowns a part of it. Um, you would think that somebody would want to come in clean and, and, and make weight and everything and pick up all their money and a win over somebody who has bested them in the first encounter. But maybe it's to get a complete advantage <laughs> in the wrestling and grappling department. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, dude, we already know he's probably not going to be able to hang with us on the feet, even though he finished us. I think he's just going to look to wrestle more, and how can we come by at that? Miss weight a little bit. I'm telling you, man, it happens, and you know it happens. So uh, uh-huh. that that's where everybody's exposure should be. You know, 
should be split on this fight. That's where your manager's got to come in and uh, mm-hmm. make it make a make your payday a little better. Yeah, exactly. You know, and then, and then hell, then you hope you just go out there and have a fight of the night candidate, and then you get the your opponent's fight of the night bonus. Right. So you're putting yourself at a real risk to pick up your win, right? Like you could also be in the you leave a bad taste in the UFC's mouth for missing weight. Now you possibly say you go out there and you pick up an unbelievable finish. Now you're unable to to get your finishing bonus if you're you're the one who missed weight. But if you're on the opposite end, you're like, let's get fight in the night, and then you're gonna get as much as you can. I forget who the fighter was, but I remember having a conversation with a fighter who got a fight at night where their opponent had missed weight. You got and, double the money. And he said he, he goes, we're literally at dinner. He goes, it's the whole team. My manager's there. Manager gets the phone call, and he looks at me and goes, you want some good news? He goes, you got five tonight. And by the way, since your opponent missed weight, you get his cut too. Oh, my God. That's like a dream. I mean, oh, and man, you think about it. If you're, so nice. if you're like a prelim fighter, like. That's life-changing. Exactly. That is life-changing money. And by the way, that's when you need to go have your conversation with your accountant about how much money I need to stack away yeah, to pay for taxes. Exactly. Take it away right now so I so yeah. get it over with. Exactly. Uh, next up, we got a female matchup. We got Jillian Robertson taking on pole with Viana. Viana is a plus 250 betting underdog, minus 310 for Robertson. Robertson's 9,100 on DK, $21 on FanDuel. And for Viana, she's 7,100 on DK and $10 on FanDuel. Yeah, I mean, before I break the fight down, I mean, we got awesome engagement in our in our live chat, in our Discord. Thank you guys so much. I mean, Jason and I do this just because we love it. Um, been doing it for quite some time now and started our own channel. And thanks to you guys, we're making it happen. Um, you know, we got like 60 people in here live with us. So if you guys can all hit that like button, get us over 100 likes. If you're listening to it after the fact, thank you so much. You're in the Discord channel. It's free to join in the description below. Keep the conversations rolling. And uh, that'll get us to here with the Jillian robertson Poliana viana fight. I think it's pretty obvious, right? Like, Poliana viana has the heavier hands in, in this matchup against Jillian Robertson. She has some liveness to her off of her back to win via, you know, armbar from guard. As some women's MMA bouts can go that way. I actually think that Poliana viana she's done it before. She can do it here. I do think that Jillian Robertson is the better jiu-jitsu practitioner. She's the better wrestler. She's the better grinder. She's the better fighter. She is the better fighter. Um, but that doesn't mean that a dangerous finisher can't pick up another finish. She can walk you into a, a you know an armbar or a triangle. I'm, I'm seeing Poliana Viana. If you go and you go on her uh, her Instagram, you can go to her tagged posts and you can see that she's fo- focusing a lot on her jujitsu uh, in this bout as she should. The issue is is every video I'm seeing is off of her back. And she's so complacent off of her back. That's my worry. Where it's like, that that's my worry with a lot of people who train jiu-jitsu and not in an MMA or wrestling environment where they're just so comfortable off their back and there's no eagerness to get up or get top position. It's just like playing from the guard. When you start getting punched and elbowed in the face, man, things change. And there needs to be an eagerness about you to get up. Because I do think that Jillian Robertson, a part of Goat Shed MMA, I think that she's becoming very dangerous especially from the top position she's starting to land brutal ground and pound she's done it in the past i almost think there's a meanness about her that i really like 9100 she can chain multiple takedowns over 15 minutes she has the better submission skills i would be very surprised to see her lose via submission i would also be very surprised to see her get knocked out 
because when she's hurt, she's shooting for takedowns. And I just don't buy the the takedown defense from Poliana Viana. So it's women's MMA. You can do worse than an underdog shot on Poliana. Um, but yeah, give me Jillian Robertson here at 9,100. I, I like her in this matchup. I think it's pretty favorable. Yeah, I mean, it's just, it's one of these, Jillian Robertson's one of these fires. I feel like I can never get her right. Like, really? He, he just, yeah, she's just one of those ones I just feel like, you know, I, I don't mind getting there. Uh, it's probably more of kind of how do my lines kind of go construction-wise on, um, you know, because I do think that even though I want to prioritize the main event, I do think that there's probably going to be, I'd probably say 20% of my lineups that I do want to get away from the main event just to be, a, just to kind of separate myself a little bit unique. And and maybe Julian Robinson is one of those ones, but man, just never feel great about it uh, in terms of that one. Next up is a matchup that I know Peace not necessarily targeting for GPPs, but I am going to be, and that's Johan Lanais taking on Sam Patterson. Sam Patterson plus 125, Lanais minus 150, Lanais 8400 on DK, $15 on FanDuel. And for Sam Patterson, 7800 on DK and $15 on FanDuel. Good God, this fight is volatile. It really is, right? Like, watching the fight film for this leading up is, is frustrating, right? Like, it's very frustrating because I don't think that, you know, either one of these guys are all that great. And the, the lower end of some of these divisions – Flip a coin, man. Like, flip a coin. Like, you don't know who's going to win. You really don't. I think that, you know, Johan Linus in the UFC, clearly, he's fought some impressive fighters. But he's gotten worked in two of those occasions against Gabe Green and Mike Malott. Um, picked up a split decision over Darian Weeks. I thought that was interesting. But, like, his his scoring is terrible. Like, absolutely terrible. Um, like, in the decision split decision over Darian Weeks, he scored 39. I don't think I've ever heard of that. You get 30 for a decision. You only got nine points elsewhere? That's crazy. Um, Sam Patterson, though, is a lightweight, moving up to welterweight. Stands straight up, straight as can be. From the outside, I think that he'll be able to land shots against Johan Lainess. Um, He can land the straight shots. He has the better kicks of the two. And his submission skills, I think, are his best asset. His defensive striking skills are terrible. He sits there. He absorbs shots. He does what I yell at everybody at my gym not to do, and it's lean back. Get your head over your knees, which leads you susceptible to getting knocked down on your butt. And That's why he's been knocked down numerous times from the regional scene to his UFC career. Um, you need to keep your hands up, and his chin is sky high. I feel like... The reason I'm underweight to this fight is I'm just so unsure. You want to pick Johan Lainez to win via KO because Sam Patterson's chin and his striking defense is non-existent. But if I'm laying out all their skills, Sam Patterson is way more skilled than Johan Lainez. Johan, I do not think is good at all. I just think he's just gotten lucky. He's like he's terrible with 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 what his sequences, but he, they land sometimes. And I feel like in this fight, Jason, whoever's winning the fight is not going to win the fight. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like Sam Patterson's winning the fight for 12 minutes. Then all of a sudden, Johan gets a minute of gas and then he lands one shot and it's over. Or the reverse applies. Johan Lainess is sitting there, you know, dominating and then gets tired in the third frame and then Sam Patterson snatches up his neck. So due to the uncertainty, I'm just going to pivot away from it. But sometimes in a GPP in 150 max, you got to embrace the volatility and 
good God, this is a volatile fight. So I still will be leaning towards Johan Lyness, but man, it's it's a slight lean. It's like a 51-49 if I absolutely had to pick. Um, but yeah, I, I like other fights better. I just I think there's a chance that they're both a little gun shy and a little worried and hesitant that it leads to a, a low scoring affair. Um, and they just try to pick up as safe win as possible. Look, volatility is a great way to describe this matchup, and, yeah. I, and I'm totally with you. I mean, this is one of those things that if Johan wins this matchup, I truly do feel like it does come in the opening round. But if this thing gets dragged down to the second and third round, that's where I start looking at the Sam Peterson aspect. I mean, look, it's you, you, you're not going to feel great having either one of these guys in your lineup. But to me, it's just a matter of it's a volatility, and I think that's going to be in a finish. Could also very well be a live betting opportunity. If this thing gets out of the first round and, and you can get a nice live bet on, on Patterson, that's to me where I would look in terms of that one. And, I mean, look, if you're, if you're in a place where you can bet on MMA and they do offer live odds, I mean, look, it's um, – Sam Patterson, I think, could be potentially someone to really target in terms of that one. Next up, we got a female matchup that was initially going to be a 125-pound matchup. However, is now a 135-pound matchup. Both fires weighed in just over 133 pounds, and the reason it was moved up was for on the uh, Priscilla side of the equation. She is a plus 315 betting underdog. Jasmine, minus 415. She's 9500 on DK, $23 on FanDuel. And for uh, Ketchawara, 6700 on DK and eight dollars on FanDuel, Pete. Yeah, so, I mean, I'm picking Jasmine Jasuda Vicious here, but I, I got to tell you, like, I feel like at times she's okay with standing and banging. And she's okay with just like, well, I was unsuccessful in my takedown. I'm just going to, to try and stand and bang and please the crowd. And, I mean, that could really not work out here for her against her opponent in Priscilla Cachoeira, despite it being a hometown fight. She throws with tremendous volume. She does shoot with some good volume, but if she's met with resistance, sometimes she pivots away from that. I mean, like in the Miranda Maverick fight, I was surprised she only attempted one takedown. She ended up getting the victory, but... She only attempted one takedown, scored 85 fantasy points, threw 150 strikes, landed 67, um, kind of went back to her wrestling roots and in the Tracy Cortez fight, landed only two of 10 takedowns. And Tracy Cortez is a phenomenal wrestler. Definitely not the caliber of wrestler that Priscilla Cachoeira is. Cachoeira has non-existent wrestling. Um, she'll defend some takedowns. Like she defended six against Marina Maverick, but ultimately was taken down and finished. Defended three takedowns against Jillian Robertson. Uh, ultimately was taken down and finished inside round one. I just think that it only takes one takedown to really land brutal ground and pound on Priscilla Cachoeira or pick up a submission finish. The issue that I have is I think this is going to go 15 minutes. Jasmine, Jasmine Suda Vicious hasn't picked up a knockdown in any of her UFC fights. She has five UFC fights hasn't attempted a submission in any of her five UFC fights. This could be just a ragdoll situation where Jasuda Vicious, her ground skills are on full display, leads to a boosted total, scores 110-120 um, over the course of 15 minutes. But if she does not lace up those wrestling shoes, she is alive to get cracked by Priscilla Cachoeira. And I'm not telling you guys anything with that. You guys all know. That Priscilla, the one thing she can do really well is hurt people on the feet. She's done it to fighters in the past. Ariana Lipsky, Shayna Dobson, Gina Mazzani, Ji Yeon Kim. All fighters that are beneath the skill set of Jasmine Jasuda Vicious. But 
that power is live. That power is live to come from behind, especially if you have a bad weight cut or overexert yourself early. So I'll be picking Jasuda Vicious here. I think she's in a great spot, clearly uh, in a hometown type of matchup to to get the card rolling, and uh, she should be a strong play for DraftKings. Yeah, I mean, look, there is obviously a clear path for her to go out there and get a victory and utilize the grappling. But if you know, you always, you know, Pete, ego can be a son of a bitch. And ego can oh, yeah. force you to want to sit there and stand. And like I talked about this, like you, you want to throw maybe a sprinkle on some props out there that have good plus money. Priscilla Catchaware by TKO KO. I'm looking on the on the Hard Rock uh, uh, app, which is uh, the app we have here in the state of Florida for legalized betting, plus five fifty. Like I, I, I think I, I don't mind playing a little sprinkle, just you know, throw a little money there, just because I mean that is if Priscilla Catchware is going to pull this off, it is because she's going to knock her out. But I just feel like Jasmine's just going to you know it's going to be takedown city. Now, now the yeah. only question I think on the DraftKings aspect of that is if she gets let's say one ten, can she be optimal with a ninety five hundred dollar price tag? Yeah, that's all slate dependent, right? It all depends yeah. on what underdogs come through and other nine thousand options. But I think you know if you're if you're just a safe player, clearly the safest floor uh, on the card, and especially as a wrestler, she should be able to go get you ninety plus points all day long. But the the salary is restrictive. Yeah, in, in a cash game, I definitely do not mind going Jasmine just because of, of what exactly you mentioned there. Now, of course, our opening fight of the night does feature a fire who didn't miss weight, that being Malcolm Gordon taking on Jimmy Flick. Uh, Malcolm Gordon missed weight by a pound. He is a minus 200 betting favorite, plus 170 for Jimmy Flick. Uh, 8300 on DK for Gordon, $16 on FanDuel for Jimmy Flick. He is 7900 on DK and $12 on FanDuel, Pete. Yeah, so even prior to the the weight miss um, from Malcolm Gordon, I, I'm going to be leaning towards Jimmy Flick. And unlike Jason's favorite fight, uh, second favorite fight of Johan Lainess <laughs> and Sam Patterson, I'll, I'll say that this is my second favorite fight between Malcolm Gordon and Jimmy Flick. I am expecting to be wrong on it. I'm expecting some wildness to happen. Um, man, I do think that it's going to put up a great score. I, I'm going to be, you know, siding with Jimmy Flick. Uh, throughout his regional career, his wrestling is what got him to the dance, and then his submission skills are what really started to create a profile and highlight film for him. I think that when it comes to wrestling exchanges, Malcolm Gordon could big brother him a little bit until it starts to lead into a scramble, and that's where I think he'll be a step behind, whereas Jimmy Flick will just keep going with the momentum and chaining things together. Um, I, I don't expect Jimmy Flick to make as many mistakes on the ground as Malcolm Gordon. I think Flick's jujitsu is far superior. We've seen Gordon get put in some compromising situations. Um, you know, and, and even having a competitive fight against Francisco Figueredo, I don't hold that guy as a, a talented fighter at all. He's not his brother. I mean, two of 11 in the takedown department for, for uh, Malcolm Gordon, six minutes of control time. If Gordon's able to stay on top and avoid the danger... Sure, he can win a win a decision. Um, I do think that Jimmy Flick, I'm seeing him hit pads. He's looking fine. He's clearly looked terrible since his return from retirement. But he needs to get the fight to the mat, throwing up triangles, arm bars. If he can scramble on top, setting up his head and arm series, I think Jimmy Flick's going to pick up a submission finish here over Malcolm Gordon. Um, but if you like the other side, you think Malcolm Gordon's in a winnable striking striking spot to pick up a KO TKO. Just remember, he didn't really KO TKO Dennis Bondar. That that was due to an arm break in a in a grappling scramble. I mean, I I think that you know 
he could be a little bit more dangerous and the chin of Jimmy Flick could be completely gone. But I need an underdog, and I'm going to be picking Jimmy Flick just because I think the fight's close. So give me Jimmy Flick to win via submission, but smash this fight, in my opinion. Smash it. Don't trust either guy on the feet. Nope. I mean, I just I it's I can't trust either one of these guys. And that's why, like, I get everything you're saying. It, yeah. But I also kind of put this in a situation of like I think there's a lot of volatility on, on the either side of this one. Like I could see Malcolm Gordon just you know dropping Jimmy Flick, but also I can see a Jimmy Flick submission. I mean, it's just one of those ones like oof, man, it's, man, you're telling me the I got volatility and it's the first fight of the night. You think I yeah. are you think I really want to get there? Embrace the volatility, Jason. No, the worst <laughs> thing is going to be if Jimmy Flick KOs Malcolm Gordon because everybody in the world is going to be on the Flick sub prop oh, or the Gordon on. KO prop. And then when, when the reverse happens, Gordon via submission or Flick via KO, it's just going to flip the slate. Well, it's not going to make no difference for DFS, but for Vegas and, and for prop betting, that that's where you can kind of screw yourself. And, you know, if the odds aren't that different, just take inside the distance. Jimmy Flick has never won a fight by TKO or KO. First time for everything. I, I don't Bro. think it's going to happen, but I, I'm just saying. He's 16 and 7. Think it, just I mean, take that one in. You're 16 and seven, and you don't have a win by knockout. Yeah. Okay. I agree with you. That's the same thing as Preston Parsons last week, right? No wins via KO TKO. He was looking damn good on the feet. Yeah. He's going out there and, and piecing up Matthew Semmelsberger, who supposed to be the most <sighs> dangerous striker out there that he's faced, and you know what I mean. So there's a first time for everything, and you can't really account for the development. That's why everybody's going to be on that sub prop. But I'm telling you, if the sub prop is already juiced, and then you look at the inside the distance, and it's not that much different, just take the inside the distance to be safe. Don't be greedy. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, just I'm, I'm over here on Hard Rock app. Fight goes the distance minus three hundred as a no. Uh, Flick wins via submission plus four hundred, so not bad prop odds there. Uh, Flick wins by TKO KO plus fourteen hundred. Yeah, I mean that ain't. Yeah, it I mean, yeah, I mean, look, it's yeah. If he's win, I think it's definitely going to be. Uh, How via. is Flick by submission that much? What is? That's his winning. That's how he wins. Let me let me look at other sports. Let me look at other sports books. Know, I'm looking at sport. it right now. You're right. I mean, Gordon to win by KO TKO is plus one sixty five. Yeah, I mean that's that's just value value yeah. on an underdog. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm looking at Flick wins via submission. The lowest I see over best fight odds is plus 300, uh, plus 400, uh, bet Rivers, uh, plus 350 or at Unibet plus 400, bet way plus 300. So, um, yeah, that, that's definitely going to be the way he wins that matchup if he does go out there and get the victory. So, Pete, let's get into our straight up fight picks here. Main event, uh, I'm going to go and new Dracus Duplessis. Yeah, Dracus Duplessis lean for me. Uh, I got Silva in the co-main event. Silva. Give me Malat. Malat. Uh, Curtis. Curtis. Evolev. Evolev. Uh, Katona. Katona. It's favorites like crazy for me. Yeah, I know. Um, Jordan. Jordan. Uh, City. City. Uh, Robertson. Robertson. Give me underdog number two in Sam Patterson. Okay. Uh, go Johan. I'll go Jasmine. Jasmine. And I'm going to go Gordon. Okay, I'm going to go Flick. Yeah, get uh, some questions we got in from Discord before we get to our YouTube questions. Uh, best 
punt play. Uh, to me, I think in terms of cash, it's Woodson. In terms yep. of a GPP play as a punt play, oh man, it's it's rough. I mean, it is rough. I mean, it's Tavares because I don't consider anything above seventy five hundred a punt, so it has to be below seventy five. The only one I was maybe looking at, I mean, armbar for guards live, Paul Viana. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, but yeah. yeah, don't don't really. I don't love a lot down there. Uh, best leverage play uh, to me. Um, let me pull up the uh, ownership. I was looking at Bracketona just as a, a you know, and to me, I'm always looking at people that are underneath twenty percent. Um, Bracketona to me would be one of them. Um, outside of that, not a lot. I love as leverage plays, but I think Katona uh, for me would be my leverage play. I'm kind of surprised at the ownership. I mean, it's not a leverage play, but. When you talk about the the highest price fighter on the slate, you expect them to have the the most ownership or some of the closest. Yeah. It's not happening with Jasmine. Jasmine yeah. is like mediocre. Yeah. Uh, best takedown upside. Uh, to me, I think there's a couple of fighters you got to point to in there. Uh, to me, um, Evelev, Katona, Jasmine, Robertson. Um, I would probably look at uh, Evelev as my top takedown upside. Yeah, so I got, I have four. I have three with two sprinkles. So I got Mozart, Evloev, Robertson, Jasmine. All makes sense. Um, after that, it is going to be sprinkles of Brad Katona and sprinkles of Jimmy Flick. Uh, next up, ranking the 9K fires. We have uh, four 9K fires here Jasmine, Jillian, Charles, and Mike. Uh, I would go, to me, I would still say Jasmine just because of the clear takedown upside and racking up uh, points on DraftKings. So I would put her number one. I would go Malat two, Robertson three, Jordan four. I have it exactly how you have it and exactly how the pricing is. Yeah. Uh, top core plays. Uh, to me, core plays, I think it starts off with uh, you know getting to both sides of the main event. Um, uh, I do like Evola because of that takedown upside. Um, those would be those would probably my top, and, and then Katona I think would be my my third top core play. Yeah, I'm with you when it comes to uh, for fights, main event, Flick, Gordon, and then Katona seems to be popular. How about Chris Curtis? I, I like Chris Curtis in a sneaky matchup. Uh, top optimal, uh, a leverage play that breaks a slate. I think Jimmy Flick could be that guy if that ownership stays where it's at right now. Uh, yeah. top, top optimal plays. Um, I, I, whoever wins the main event, I think will like would be optimal. Mm-hmm. Has to be just no, be, and, I mean, and that, I because of the price point. Yeah. I would, I would exactly imagine there. Uh, best underdog plays. We kind of talked about this a second ago. I mean, there's just not a ton out there that really I love. I mean, just, they're just I mean, not. To be touting Sam Patterson, you know what I mean? Or not touting, but like to to be okay with getting a lot of exposure to, to Sam Patterson. It's an ugly week for underdogs. Yeah. You know, it is the matchup, and Yo, I think it's more against Johan than anything. Um, but still, like you, you you know, to to have a ton of ownership in somebody means a lot. And uh that's why Patterson or Flick, like you could say the same thing about Flick and you know, just completely critique his entire game it's it's ugly for underdogs 
Yeah. Uh, top punt play. Um, this would be more of a cash game answer for me that it would be Sean Woodson just because I think that that fight goes 15 minutes. And at 7,200, I, I think we got a nice little floor there uh, in terms of developing lineups. 100%. I mean, I already told you guys I'll be stacking that fight in a couple of my uh, in a couple of my my entries in in a couple tournaments just because I think it's it's extremely unique and gives me a safe floor for both fighters. Uh, best inside the distance fights. Um, fights. Who? Gordon, um, Gordon Flick has to be. I would say Gordon Flick, Lanace Patterson, Robertson Viana, City Tavares. Those would be my top ones. I'd be very surprised if the main event went 25 minutes one way or another. Yeah. I mean, you, what, what does a 20, a 25 minute gas tank for uh Drake's two plus C's look like it's a bit, it's an unknown. We just, we just don't know what it potentially looks like there. Uh, favorite parlay plays. Uh, I would team me. I'd be putting, if I was going to go with a three teamer, I would go Evlev money line, Katona money line. And then my third one, I'd probably go Jasmine just to, just because of confidence level. Okay, so you went Evlev Katona. Let me see what kind of odds that gets me. It's probably plus two forty. Uh, see, it. Jasmine. That's not bad. I kind of <laughs> like that. Uh, plus one seventy nine over on Hard Rock. That's still not bad. I mean, you're taking three chalky options. Yeah. That's not bad. I, that's how I like to do parlays sometimes. I mean, it's nice when you get a crazy number, plus 300 and above, mm-hmm. but you're also going to be sweating it out. Yeah. Uh, Jason and Pete specials. I mean, look, it's low-level flyweight matchup in, in the Jason special and yeah. the Pete special, which is obviously the main event because of the price point. Uh, like we've talked about, you got to get to both sides. You know, I, I think it's, I mean, I, I truly do think it's a 50-50 kind of fight just because of, and if you miss the beginning of the show, if you're watching us live, the, the thing that uh, Pete pointed out, and I totally agree with what Pete said, it, to me, it's who who's on the back pedal, you know, and, and that to me is going to be the fire that's going to ultimately lose the matchup. Uh, his over under eight and a half, give me the under. Yeah, give me the under. Yeah, I just think that number's a little too high. What, was uh, he right last week? I don't even remember. I think I he was not. off. Yeah, I don't remember. Uh, value plays under 8K on DK. Man, there is not a ton there. Um, I think we kind of talked about it. Under 8K, it's like a they're all the same. Flick yeah. and Patterson. And then it's like Tavares and Woodson as like the bottom of the barrel, guys. With yeah. Viana sprinkled in, too. Uh, core three on DraftKings. Um I think for me, it starts with taking one of the fighters in the main event. Uh, then I'm probably looking at uh, either either Evelev or Katona because of the uh, the ability to take the fight to the ground. And then the third one, I think you're probably looking at a combination of either Lanace, Patterson, Gordon, or Flick, just because of like of it. of looking at what the ceiling is in those fights. Yeah, I, I completely agree. 
Uh, of course, if you got any questions, you can hop in our Discord channel and totally bring them in there. We'll get over into the YouTube uh, questions as we wrap up this week's episode. By the way, uh, I'll mention about prize picks, what I do like over here. Um, the ones I, I like the most is more than one and a half takedowns on Brad Katona. Uh, the under 10 and a half fight time minute on Jillian Robertson. Those would be my two favorites. Uh, I do lean to the more than 72 and a half significant strikes on Sean Strickland if you like Strickland to win. Um, and I would say the under nine and three quarters fight time on Mike Malott there. So we'll get to uh, some questions that have come in over here on the over here on YouTube before we get out of here. Uh, so, so side note, your guys reaction, Max and Justin uh, fight. Can't wait for that one. Might be a five of the year contender. Uh, should be a great matchup. Uh, my only concern is I just it's Max at 155. I just don't. I, I kind of wonder about does he have enough size um, at, at one fifty five? When you're talking about, I mean, some of these fifty fivers. I mean, there, there's fifty fivers who could be maybe as little as one seventy five, and there are some lightweights that push two hundred. Yeah, yeah. I mean, look at me right now. You know what I mean? Like, I I think Max is also a guy who's cut a tremendous amount away for for featherweight. And I thought the eventual move to 55 was going to happen. We've seen the experiment happen in the past, and it didn't didn't work out really well for him uh, against uh, Dustin Poirier. So, uh, you know, I, I, I'm excited to see it. I just don't know if he has enough sting in his shots. Clearly has the, the volume for it. Um, but Gaethje's looked career best as of late, and I, I think the, the stopping power truly resides with Gaethje. But, uh, you know, the leg kicks, too. I, you know what I mean? Like, Gaethje just chop away. So, I, I think it's a Gaethje fight. Um, and it, what is that on? Is that, 300. is that on UFC? Oh, well, good. They needed something. So they my my, guess, guy, my guess it's going to be the co-main event, be my guess. What do you think is the main event going to be? You might already know. So uh, I, I don't know. Okay. You, you want to know Jay, my – here's my bold prediction. Are you saying Hamzat? No. Okay. Leon Edwards defends the welterweight title. It's not against Blah Muhammad. Oh my God. You're going to go say Habib. It ain't Habib. Get the hell out if of here. If you listen to the recent comments Javier Mendez made, he's talking care. like Habib. And I was talking to somebody earlier today, and we were talking about this situation. And they said to me, if Habib is coming back, you know what they're setting up. He's not coming back. Never, I don't care who the fighter I is. Expect, you never I believe that R word. Pete, you can tell me you're retired. I'll go, Pete, you're lying your ass off. I expect somebody in chat to say that as the main event, not Jason Floyd. What, what do you think Brock Lesnar's coming out to? No, no, no. I, I will say this right now, though. Oh, God. Message to Blah Muhammad. If you lose your title fight to Habib Nurmagomedov, you need to change management. Because yeah. that's going to tell you you're both represented by the same agency. That if they don't get you that fight, they get it for Habib. It's time for you to get a new manager. One hundred percent, I agree with yeah. that. I mean, uh, get next question. Ryan says, uh, "Who is this week's Nicholas Mota?" Oof. Yeah, huh? I mean, goodness gracious! I, and it? I was talking about last week how I was initially going to pick Nicholas Mota, and I talked myself out of it. Because you know you just don't know if your if your reads are correct. I think this week's Nicholas mm. Moda could be all right. Two bold ones, if I had to say, Poliana Viana slash Garrett mm -hmm. Armfield. But 
Okay. I don't like either one. I don't like either one. Yeah. Yeah, I know. Uh, Sam, of course, I mentioned I uh, appreciate your uh, super chat a little bit earlier on in the show. Much appreciated there. Uh, for the AAA on FanDuel, what are the top three MVP options and value options? Uh, let me talk value options over on FanDuel. I think Jimmy Flick at $12 is a very interesting um, um, option, uh, low option there. Um Arnold Allen at 13 is an interesting one, too, if he can keep the five feet. I just don't think he can. Um, those will probably be the two that really stick out to me um, in terms of that. In terms of uh, top options, uh, I think you got to look at just uh, fires you think can go out there and get a finish. Um, you know, I, I would still look at a guy like Evelev, um, DDP, just because of potentially getting a finish in the first or second round. Um, those would probably be the kind of ones that really stick out to me. Can you imagine Cachoeira knocks out Jasmine Jasuda Vicious? That's that's her path to win the fight. I mean, if that happens, dude, like... Yeah. I mean, I'm not going to have any exposure to her because I don't think I'm 150. I think I'm just going to 20 max. But, gosh, it's just so frustrating when shit like that happens. And we say it all the time, like, the best fighter doesn't always win. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, I, even at 20 max, I don't think I would X her out, but, like... Really? I, I wouldn't I think it'd be like a one lineup situation. Okay. You know. Um let's see here. Go down the uh questions here. Um I think a lot is completely unproven. I think there's a lot of value as Magni is underdog. I don't disagree with uh, Malat being unproven, but I mean it's just because it's it's a natural progression. It, it just working your way up, and um, you know, I mean, look, I think his ownership is going to be crazy. So um, that could very well be a way to get uh, a little bit different, get away from him, and, and maybe you think that that Magni uh, makes us a 15 minute fight there. Uh, let's go over to the next question. Uh, doo, doo, doo. Allen has underrated power advantage, and Evelev was getting wobbled in his past fight with Hakeem Dawadu, and Evelev has his takedown in wrestling. I mean, look, it's I just think stylistically, I don't love the matchup for Arnold Allen. That that's where I stand on that fight. I stand the same. Um, but Arnold Allen, as far as like within that price range, who's the most skilled? It's Arnold Allen. You know what I mean? And that that's like why I always say prioritize main event, co-main event, underdogs. Or skilled fighters and like Arnold Allen, seventy five hundred and below. He's the most talented of everybody there. Yeah. Uh, let's see here. Um, trying to just get some questions that maybe we've not uh, answered yet here in terms of it as we kind of start wrapping up the show. Uh, we, as always, we appreciate everyone uh, tuning in for this episode of the podcast. Of course, uh, no show next week because we have no UFC show next week. Uh, of course, uh, we'll get uh, back kicking two weeks later. You buying the you buying the pay-per-view? Yeah. Yeah, I'll buy it on my phone. Nice. Yeah, nice. I'll buy it on my phone. Uh, it's just, I mean, if if I was in town, I would I would go out to watch it that's why i found myself um recently more just going out with the fellas and watching the pay-per-view but obviously being on the road and uh not trying to go outside and uh frigid temperatures so yeah, yeah. <laughs> but i'll have it on the phone or the ipad uh who i, think I the give the 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 pay-per-view a six out of ten yeah i, I mean it's look it's bad. not when you look at the, the other pay-per-views that are coming up it, it doesn't line up but of course yeah. uh they had some fights that fizzle out on this card uh who out of the three female fights who you pick if you have to choose one? I think personally, like the the masses are getting to the the co-main event, and I'm not eighty six hundred. Maybe it's yeah. fine, but twenty five minutes. She's got 
a lot of upside given that that price and 25 minutes to work with. Yeah, I like I, Julian I, Robertson the most out of all of them. Yeah, I mean, I think it, it it comes down to a roster construction, but I just look at Jasmine because she has a clear advantage in terms of the takedown aspect. And when you're talking about DraftKings and you know with, with takedowns and, and being able to uh, get control time, that's to me where it is. Uh, we'll, finish on, we'll finish on this question from Ryan. He goes, is Armfield a decent GPB punt for FanDuel at $11? Um, if I was going to punt in that range, I would probably more look at a Jimmy Flick at twelve dollars and Armfield at eleven. Initially, my 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 concern is submission defense for Garrett Armfield. Initially, I was looking at Armfield as one of those guys because like I I see the skills and I'm like, dude, this kid's good. Like from the training footage, and as a coach, I'm sitting there and I'm like, oh man, I do worry about certain situations and certain sequences where he can get exposed. I also am not in love with Brad Katona's striking defense. Yeah. Um, so I think there's 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 clearly a path, and he's going to be a very unpopular pick. So I have a few lineups with him. Uh, Sam asked about if we're going to do a leaderboard for the score contest eventually. Uh, Sam, what, what I'll do is I'll pull that data from last week, and uh, I'll create a spreadsheet so we have, kind of have that in there uh, as well. And, Sam, I have not even looked at Super Draft. What, what I'll do is uh, later here on today I'll take a look at Super Draft, and I'll put stuff in Discord of uh, things that stick out to me. And, of course, that's always a great way. Uh, you know, sometimes you know this time of year it's, uh, it's kind of tough for me on Saturdays because uh, of my football schedules. But uh, I will try to get in Discord here over uh, today and, and and before I, I head up to Detroit tomorrow. Uh, it's always a great way to ask any questions, whether you want to ask a question myself or Pete or, or everyone that's in there. You know, get every. It's always – I do find myself on fight days. I, I just kind of – I look in there and I, I just – I see what people are saying. And people are saying – and, uh, you know, it's unfortunate for our DraftKings contest, me and Peter are at disadvantage because you know the way we think. <laughs> Yeah, and you already know. Just pivot away from some of my picks, um, and you guys would be all right. I, I mean, Arlovsky, that that fight in general last week stunk. So I mean, but yeah, I got to. Uh, I, I created my my initial lineup uh, over in the uh, contest, and uh, you should not be surprised by if I stick with this lineup. Right now, I have four hundred dollars left on the table. I'll, I'll just say that. Um, Interesting. But there is one fighter. Eh, there's two fighters that I might swap out for somebody else. But I, I think if you're listening to this, you you kind of have an idea of who's probably in my lineup. <laughs> Hell yeah. So, hey, thank you guys so much for tuning in. Uh, another week of MMA DFS talking the game. Um, if you guys want to talk about betting and all that, join the Discord. It's free to join in the link below in the description. Thank you, Jason. Um, just happy to be here and trying to get here always throughout our busy schedule. So if, if we don't get back to you guys on certain things, it's not that we're ignoring you. It's just juggling a million different things. And, uh, yeah, excited to have this fight card and all the ones in the future. Yeah, and of course, uh, if you can hit that thumbs up button if you're watching us on YouTube or leave a rating and review if you haven't been listening to us on the podcast channels, we always appreciate it. If there's something you want to hear on this show going forward, some type of content, just let us know. We, we want to make sure we're giving you the content that you want to hear on the podcast. So that's going to do it for this episode of the Fight HQ Podcast. We'll be back in uh, two weeks. We'll get you ready for the next UFC Fight Night card.